Amen. <clears throat> well, just down the road from us here in La Jolla, actually right across the freeway from where we had our women's retreat, at Scripps Memorial Hospital there, there's an employee who has a real name, but he's better known to the people there and the people that interact with him as the thank you man. And he's been working there for more than 30 years, taking parking tickets and parking payments and various other jobs. And he's actually been interviewed for the local news. If you look it up online, you can find a video of him being interviewed um, from a few years back. And uh, people are fascinated by their conversations with him because in such a short amount of time, in a small conversation window, he is able to say the phrase, thank you, many more times than you think is even possible. He says things like, thank you for parking, thank you for saying hi, thank you for your ticket, thank you for coming, thank you for smiling, thank you for being nice, thank you for paying, thank you for thanking me. And he smiles and laughs the whole time. When he was asked on the news why it is that he says thank you so much, he said, thank you for asking. And, he's, <laughs> and he followed it up with, because it makes people happy. See, the thank you man understands two things. Number one, nobody likes to pay for parking. And number two, sometimes going to or coming from a hospital is not a reason to smile. But he has found that by smiling at people and overthanking them, he can sometimes get them to smile back. And it brings joy to the job that he's doing and hopefully some light to whatever their situation is as well. He has a job to do, and honestly, it's one that's hardly ever noticed until he has brought his own flair to the task. In fact, he's so popular that it's not uncommon for there to be 10 cars lined up for his booth while the other ones are wide open because people just want a chance to talk to him. He has decided to do his job well with gratitude and kindness toward other people. The thank you man, he gets it. He has got it, and it shows in the results of the people around him. And we're going to find out from our passage today that when God gives us a job to do, we have got to get it at this same level. In Exodus, we've come to a passage that's actually really fun to read through and to learn from because it's one of the times that God's going to give the Israelites some very specific instructions through Moses, and they're going to do it, and they're going to do it well. And hopefully you had a chance to read both chapters 35 and 36 and do the study questions, but we're going to take a look at a couple different chunks from those chapters. Our main verse for this morning is actually the memory verse from this week, if you had a chance to look at that. If you open in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 35 and scan all the way down to verse number 29, Exodus 35, 29. And it says, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that Yahweh had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to Yahweh. Now keep your Bibles in chapter 35, because we're actually going to back up a little bit to get some context of what brought us to this verse, why this verse is so pivotal in this passage. If you scoop back to the beginning of chapter 35 in verse 1, you'll see that Moses is gathering together all the people. Everyone who is able to come is brought to where Moses is because he has some information. He has something that God has told him to communicate to them. And if you go down in, verse 35, or in chapter 35 to verse number 4, 
It says, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that Yahweh has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to Yahweh. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring Yahweh's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. They're getting ready to build the tabernacle. Moses is letting them know what things are needed, what supplies are needed for that project. So starting in verse 4 and then down through verse 9, this is the list of what they're supposed to bring. Then if you look at verse 10 of chapter 35, it says, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that Yahweh has commanded. So now these are the jobs. These are the, this is the list that Moses is going to give them of what that needs to be done in order to complete the tabernacle. So they have the things that they need to bring, and then they have the work that needs to be done. And that goes all the way down through verse 19. If we pick up again in chapter 35, verse 20, it says, Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought Yahweh's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to Yahweh. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as Yahweh's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands. And they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair, and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. And then again, verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that Yahweh had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to Yahweh. All the people of Israel gathered together to willingly and abundantly contribute their possessions and their skills that God had given them in order to do the job that God had given them to do, which was to build a place to worship the Lord. When we fast forward to today, where we are, we know that believers in the church each have their own gifts that God has told us are to be used to serve the whole church with a willing and generous attitude for the unified purpose of worshiping God. This is sometimes hard to do because it requires sacrifice. It means working alongside other people, which sometimes means patience or compromise. And sometimes it means doing a job that's not very noticeable or center stage. And sometimes even we can get caught up in the work and we can lose sight of the worship of God. But when we have a right understanding of our place in the body of Christ with the resources and gifts that God has given us, as a piece of the whole, that motivates us to do our part well, knowing that every contribution we make allows the whole body to grow and to worship God together, leading to the ultimate future where all believers, where, where together we will worship the Lord perfectly in heaven, and it won't be hard to do our job anymore. Verse 29 is our motivation we want to be like the Israelites in this. We want to be able to say that all of us 
are bringing anything for the work that Yahweh commands us to do. So let's write down point number one this way. Willingly sacrifice for the good of the church. Willingly sacrifice for the good of the church. We can see the willing attitude of the Israelites in several places throughout that passage that we read where it has repeated phrases like, Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, they came, they were of a willing heart. The women whose hearts stirred them, they brought their free will offerings to Yahweh. It was a part of their worship. Because we remember the last time when it was Aaron who asked for everybody to bring something that they were going to use to worship an idol, the golden calf. And Bethany talked to us about identifying the idols in our own lives. What is it that we're spending our time and our energy and our money in pursuit of? What has our affections and our loyalty that belongs only to God? What are we worshiping? The Israelites were willing to sacrifice their important things, their valuable things at that point to worship an idol. And now, here we are at the building of the tabernacle, and this is such a sweet picture of God's redemption of his people because there was the golden calf then there was the discipline of the lord for their idol worship then there was the sweet forgiveness of the lord that we looked at last week and now their affections their loyalty it's shifting back to where it never should have left now they are willingly bringing their goods and their skills to the lord to worship him they're motivated by God's forgiveness, and they are ready to give and give abundantly. If you scroll down in your Bibles or turn the page, either way, to chapter 36 of Exodus, in verse 6, chapter 36, 6, it says, So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary so the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. They responded big. They brought what was needed plus. I like to picture, after Moses has gathered everybody together, all of those families going back to their tents and hurriedly going through their things and gathering together what they know can be used for the construction of the tabernacle and putting things together in piles and sending it off and then waking up the next morning going, I forgot, we have this too, and send this, God will use it. Or when Moses listed off all the jobs that needed to be done, the men and women in the crowd raising their hands and saying, I can do that, I can do that, until Moses finally had to say, enough, we have enough. For us, we know if we surrender our idols to the Lord, if we repent and place our faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, we are reconciled to God. He is faithful to forgive us. He redeems us. He saves us. And what greater motivation do we have to give to his church, to the people of his church? If you'll turn with me, keep a spot in Exodus, but turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to go all the way to the very end of the chapter, to verse 56. It's so good to be able to put our eyes on this text. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 56, it says, The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. That's the bad, bad news, right? But, but 
Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the good news. If you are in Christ, you have dealt with the bad news in your life, and you are grateful for the good news. And then I love how it continues in verse 58. It says, therefore, so now, now that we've dealt with that, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If you are in Christ, you have been given victory over death and sin. Your account is settled. Your future is secure. You are ready to do whatever it is that God calls you to do because you understand and you love his redemption. Some of you are there. You get it. And the Israelites, they got it. They understood that after the last chapter, how big it was that God forgave them of their idol worship, and now they are responding. I can't help but wonder if this is not your response, if you're not willing to be used by God in the church, do you know what Christ has done for you? Are you redeemed? Because it seems like this is the natural reaction. This is where we go from here. And let's, let's go. Let's be abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Puts it pretty clearly here. It says, because it says the right here that the Lord, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. It matters. That's something that doesn't always feel true. But because it's in the Bible, because it says it clearly, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain, we can hold on to that. We can believe it to be true because God has said that it is true. If we look back in Exodus chapter 35, back at our main verse for today, verse 29, when we read about the men and the women bringing anything for the work that Yahweh commanded as a free will offering, plainly speaking, this means they gave up something they had, something physical, tangible, or maybe their energy, their time. Because it is true, to be a part of God's church, to be a part of God's work, it's going to cost you. Not because you're trying to pay for your membership. That price has already been settled by Christ. Rather, because Christ has already paid that price on your behalf, what excuse do we have to say, mm, no, it's too much. It's asking too much. Are we willing to be like Paul? Are we willing to spend and be spent for others? I'm sure that you all could come up with a lot more, and I hope that you do as you think about your own life, but I want to look at just four categories of sacrifice when it comes to serving in the church. Four areas that we find that we are able to give our free will offerings to the Lord. And I'll tell you what all four of them are and then we'll look at them individually. So if you wanna write A, B, C, D, one, two, three, four, Roman numerals, bullet points, you have the freedom. The first one, your time. Your time, that's A. B, your money. C, your stuff. D, your skills. Time, money, stuff, skills. How can we be like the Israelites and give all of these things as a free will offering, knowing that when we serve with a willing heart, that it's a part of our worship of the Lord? I think we have to start by understanding that in all of these categories, time, money, stuff, skills, anything that we have has been given to us by God. The Israelites we're given this lesson in real time, and we've been able to study that throughout our series this year. 
They left Egypt to go out into the wilderness, and on their way out of town, God provided for them from the wealth of the Egyptians. When they were in the wilderness, God gave them food and water in ways that really could only be credited to him as a gift from him to them. They, they had no way of getting those things on their own. And for this tabernacle project, God's going to continue to provide what they need. In chapter 35 of Exodus, verse 31, it says, And he, God, has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. I really actually don't think that it could be stated any more plainly, right? Where all of those things came from. God filled him with those things. So let's talk about us. Letter A, our time. Time is a gift from God. How many of us can add hours to our day or years to our lives as much as we may want to? Everything we do takes time, and it is not a renewable resource, and we are all busy. Are we making sure that in our busy schedule, we are filling time with the work of the Lord? God has given us time. It should be used for him. That starts with what Ashley challenged us about a month ago to say, do you have a job here? Are you serving in the church? Are you doing something that is for the benefit of the church? We have plenty of options here, and there are always openings. Imagine what it would be like, though, if we all served to the point where Pastor Mike had to stand up here and say, enough, we have enough. I can tell you we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Or think about just this time of year like we heard from the announcements today and the outreach events that are taking place. Are you giving of your time to invite people to these things that are taking place so that they can be a part of the church during this crucial and pivotal time in the church? Because an event like Extravaganza really has very little to do with candy and bounce houses. Those are tools. Those are opportunities for you to give of your time to serve for the purpose of meeting people and inviting them to church. And I don't think it's overstating it to say, what if, what if your conversation with someone leads them to come to church and they respond rightly to the gospel? And so the sacrifice of a few hours of your time on Friday morning could mean eternal change for someone else. Are you willing to give of your time to serve the church? Do you have time in your schedule for your sisters in Christ? Do you spend time in prayer for our church and for our church leaders? Do you spend time encouraging our leaders with your words? You will notice that sacrificing your time for people, opening up your schedule to let people in, has a snowball effect. It will create more and more opportunities. Letter B, money. What about money? We could argue that maybe we earn what we have. We could say, I work hard at the job that I have, and I have accumulated the wealth that I have because I work hard. But who gave you the time, the brains, or even the resources or the knowledge to make financial decisions to get you to where you are? And really, how sure can you be that what you have today will not be gone tomorrow through circumstances beyond your control? We are warned throughout Scripture about the fleeting nature of wealth. If you want to write down, I'll read it for you, but if you want to write down 1 Timothy 6.17, 1 Timothy 6.17, it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, 
but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. It's all from him, and he is the only sure thing. And everything that happens here at church, from turning on the lights for Bible study to supporting foreign missionaries, takes money. Are you giving generously to the church? Are you giving with a willing heart, knowing that God will continue to take care of your needs? And your investment is an investment in the spread of the gospel. Let her see your stuff, your things. We can hoard things and hold on to them and say, I have a lot of stuff, but it's really the same response that it was for money. How did you get all of the stuff that you have? And really, all of that was a gift from God. And if you've been around women's Bible study for any amount of time, then you have heard it taught from here that your stuff is not your stuff. It's God's stuff, right? We've been reminded that the dirty and worn down carpet in the room that hosts HFG, that's God's carpet. We've been reminded that the basketball hoop that got broken at that high school ministry fellowship, that's God's basketball hoop. I'm not really saying that just because you have people in your house, stuff is going to get broken, but it might. It might. And really, what matters more, the thing or the ministry that is happening? Knowing that we're just caretakers of these things allows us to spend them freely on others and not selfishly hold on to what has been given to us. Are you willing to hold your hand open and let God put in money and time and stuff and take from it as he needs for other people? And last, letter D, our skills, our expertise. Sometimes serving in the church is really as simple as saying, what can I do? What skills has God given me? I love in our passage from Exodus in verse 26, Exodus 35, 26, it says, all the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. The ladies who took home supplies to do some of these projects, they probably did them already for their own families. They were applying a skill that they already had to a new project. And it might not have felt like a big deal, but their job was necessary to complete the tabernacle. And they were doing it with a willing heart, and that matters to God. I ran into a woman on campus a few weeks ago who was carrying back to the nursery a bag of clean folded laundry. She often takes home what's been used in the nursery to wash it and bring it back so that when a mom drops off her baby, she knows that that baby is going to be wrapped in or set on a clean blanket. Now that mom is free to go to Bible study or to the service, knowing that her child is well cared for all the way down to the smallest detail. And that's certainly a job that would go notice if it didn't get done, right? Do any of you all do laundry sometimes? <laughs> right? That's a ridiculous question. But do you see how even the smallest, simplest task, when done in service to God and his people, all that work matters? It's one of those truths that's so simple, and yet we have to be reminded so often. The reality that work is from God, what we need to do the work is from God, and he has placed you in a church to use everything that he has given you to do the job that he has for you. God has saved you. He has given you time, money, stuff, and skills, and he has placed you in a role in the church to use those things for the benefit of his church. In our main verse for today, Exodus 35, 29, when it says that men and women whose hearts moved them brought free will offerings, they, they brought their things, but they also brought 
themselves. There were jobs that needed to be done. They volunteered themselves for the work that needed to be done. And this wasn't an obligation. This wasn't a condition of their forgiveness. God had already forgiven them for the worship of the golden calf. They gave because they wanted to give. When we see those phrases throughout the passage, like their hearts stirred them and their spirit moved them and they willingly gave, that repeated phrase means that they gave with an attitude of gratitude and joy. And ours needs to be the same when we take on the job that God has for us. You can write down number two as joyfully fulfill your God-given role. Joyfully fulfill your God-given role. Everyone is vital because God is the one who has placed each of us into the church. And honestly, it's really just a waste of time if we spend too much time thinking about how our contribution is different from somebody else's or we don't have the job that we think that we should have. We need to be like the Israelites. We need to serve because we want to. If you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. This verse comes in the midst of a passage that's talking about preparing a willing gift, a gift of thanksgiving, and not a demanded or an expected gift. Does that sound familiar for where we are in Exodus as well? And 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I actually learned yesterday that the Greek word that's there is spelled either H-I-L or I-L-A-R-O-S, and it's where we get our English word hilarious. What a place Compass Bible Church would be if we all served with so much joy that it was almost to the point of hilarity. And I'm pretty sure I've seen that happen in kids' ministry before. <laughs> About a month back when Ashley was up here, she had us look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to write it down, I'll read it for you as a review. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 20, 12, 14 through 20 says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. When we read through some of this where it talks about the ear saying, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, or what if the whole body were an eye, it's supposed to make us think that's, ridiculous, right? That's not how the body works. That's not how it goes. And so it's ridiculous for us to think that we should be anything other than who God placed us to be in the body of Christ, that somehow we should be the same as someone else. And we can understand that in the context of the Israelites, right? If they all signed up to bring acacia wood, or if every woman decided she was only going to spin purple cloth, where would be the variety that was needed to complete the project that was before them? They wouldn't have been able to get it done if everybody only wanted to build the most important pieces or if there was a competition for who could bring the most gold and nobody brought silver or bronze. God 
is the one who has carefully arranged us in the church to do our job well, and we can trust that he is using it for the good of the church, bringing people together to worship him. We don't need to seek affirmation or applause. We can freely give God our sacrifices, our service, our gifts, and trust him to use us well. If you think about with the Israelites, they brought the things that were on the list, and they knew that it was going to be used for the tabernacle, but they brought it freely saying, use it for whatever it needs to be used for. We should have the same attitude. And even when it feels like what you do is not noticed, even when it feels like what you do is not noticed, you can know that our church is richer because you are in it, because God has placed you in it. And we would be lacking if you were not here or if you were not fulfilling the role that God has given you to do. I was listening to an old message from Elizabeth Elliott recently, and she always puts things so simply and directly most of the time. But she said, God is asking, do you trust me? Will you obey me? Because it really comes down to, are you living for yourself or are you living for the Lord? Who are we worshiping? Because there is only God's agenda. There is no my will. There is only thy will. So the next time you show up to serve, think of your time and also your attitude as a free will offering to the Lord. Get excited about being a part of what it is that he is doing in the church. Be a cheerful servant. God gave Moses the instructions in Exodus for how to build a tabernacle, which supplies to use and even who to trust with some of the work. And he's made it clear to us that he has placed us in the church and gifted us with what we need to serve. So will we respond like the Israelites? Will we trust God Will we obey him? And no matter what serving post you find yourself in, all of us in this room have a job that is the same. Any woman who calls herself a follower of Christ has been given the commands of Titus 2, 3 through 5. There is a summer women's Bible study series on this passage, which is worth listening to if you have not, and if you already have, it's worth listening one more time. Titus 2, 3 through 5 says, Older women... Likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Are we joyfully fulfilling this role as we serve in kids' ministry or student ministries or hospitality or HFG or Connect Team and so on and so on? Because when we think about the whole church as a body, like it says in 1 Corinthians 12, it's important to remember that that means that we are connected. We are not random body parts spread out in the same general area. It's not how it works. We are together, working alongside each other, sharing our lives with each other, and what we do affects one another. Yes, everyone in the church has a role, but we are not just a gathering of roles. We are not an assembly line of people completely in isolation from one another. We are a gathering of people. So we have to be intentional to seek out these relationships. Everyone here has an older woman who can encourage them and direct them on the path that is ahead, and every one of us is an older woman to someone else. And we totally understand this. Even the world understands this desire to feel connected to somebody who can tell us what's coming, who can encourage us, who knows what's ahead. That's why we have internships and apprenticeships. It's why my kids at school have big buddies and little buddies who participate in activities with them and read to them. 
So let's apply that within this context. Think of how much more impactful that is for the older women to teach what is good. That means let's be intentional in our conversations to speak well and often of God and his word. Become a small group leader in any ministry with younger women with the intention of teaching them what God has taught you, what you know to be true from scripture. Or take someone through partners. The conversations, the study, the application, all of that is already structured for you. I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with someone where they say, oh yeah, I know so-and-so. We didn't know each other that well, but she took me through partners. And now we get together every month for lunch to catch up. Or serve in kids' ministry. Even if you don't have small children at home, in those classrooms you have an opportunity to teach the Bible to the little ones that need that strong foundation. They are the future church. And think about what they will be facing in our culture when they are our age. And you have the double service of also smiling and encouraging the moms that are dropping off or picking up their little ones. I remember hearing from a mom in Navigating Motherhood that after she got saved, she sat down with her child to tell them that now we need to pray. And her little one looked at her and said, I know, we pray to thank God. Because while God was softening her heart to the gospel, he was also teaching her little one about him. And it's important to be honest in our relationship about how God is working in our lives so that we can encourage other people that they're not alone. Older women teach the younger women that waiting on God's timing for marriage and a family is a season of cultivating contentment and faith and trust. Teach the new moms that sleepless nights do end eventually or the reason for them changes. My youngest two are twins, and that was a special level of newborn stage. But what I have learned about having twins is that when you go out in public, people notice you. And I can't help but imagine what it's like for triplets or more. But people see us coming, and I usually get one of two responses. The first one you can probably imagine is, oh my, you have your hands full. And it's almost like you can hear them thinking, I'm so glad that's not me. And then there are the moms who have literally chased me down in a grocery store to be able to grab my hands and look in my eyes and say, I have twins. It's hard. And they will often say, mine are grown now. We made it. And you will too. And honestly, both responses have made me cry at different times. <laughs> But just think, if that random mom in a grocery store who I will probably never see again is an encouragement to me, think of how much more so we can be an encouragement to one another to take each other by the hand and to say, I have been where you are, and it's hard, but God is good. He knows, he sees, he cares, and he is with you. Because there are stages in life where it's very easy to feel like a hand that is disconnected from the body. If you have been there, you know, and you remember so let's seek out those women and wrap them back into the full body of Christ. What if God gave you the trials in your life to better equip you to help other people? Isn't that just another way that he gives us what we need to serve the body of Christ? Older women, let's not give any opening for gossip or complaining or about husbands or children or grumbling about life's circumstances. Let's point the younger women to scripture and teach them to hold fast to what is true 
because we know how easily our hearts bend toward anxiety and fear. In verse 3 of Titus 2, behind the commands to be reverent, avoid slander and drunkenness, really is the command to be an older woman worthy of following. Know what is good so you can teach what is good. And younger women, we need to ask better questions of those who have walked the same path that we're on. Listen and don't dismiss their wisdom. Yes, times have changed, but God and his word have not. They have never changed. And really, the older women do know better than you do. So be humble and teachable. Look for those women who are worthy of following and follow them. If you know someone who is an excellent hostess, spend time with her in her home. If you know someone who has well-behaved children, get your families together and pay very close attention to what she does. Sign up to be in a women's Bible study group with the intention of learning from women in all stages of life. And if you haven't already completed it, ask one of them to take you through partners. Let's stop settling for fake online friends and communities that just sprinkle their advice out into the internet vortex when God has given us real people sitting next to us within the body of Christ. The warning is also clear in Titus 2.5 that all that we do and strive to do well is to keep the word of God from being reviled. It matters that we give sacrificially to the church. It matters that we do what God has called us to do with a good attitude. Because when the body of Christ is functioning as it should, not only is every part taking care of each other, but the church as a place that follows and values God's word becomes an attractive place to be. Moses had gathered the people together to give them God's instructions, and they built the tabernacle, a beautiful place that was filled with beautiful things. It was an attractive place to be because of how it looked, but also because of this willingly sacrificial servants that built it so they could worship God together. Because in Exodus, there's so much more going on than just a building campaign that needed capable workers and supplies. So why? Why are the men and women bringing anything for the work that Yahweh had commanded as a free will offering to Yahweh? It's a kid's favorite question growing up, right? One of the first ones they learn how to say, why? Why, mommy? Why? Because from a young age, we're motivated by a reason. And the Israelites were building the tabernacle, the place that would mediate God's presence among his people and receive their offerings and sacrifices. Their unified goal was to build a place to worship God here in this passage, they're giving of their stuff and they're giving of themselves to worship Yahweh only, not to worship themselves and not to worship another idol. Let's write down number three this way this morning. Humbly remember the goal of your service. Humbly remember the goal of your service. There's someone that my husband and I know who is not saved, um, but we have a relationship with him, and he told my husband once that the church has what he has looked for his whole life in communities and clubs, and he has never seen people give to each other to the level that we do, to the point of giving of our time and our stuff without expectation, or even the connections that we have with one another that have nothing to do with our background or economic status or even our shared interests. Rather, what motivates us to willingly hand over our stuff dedicate our time, and work for the benefit of others is our worship of the Lord. There's a unity that we know comes from our shared salvation in Christ that can't be replicated outside of the church. Jesus is what's missing from the bowling club or the art history club. And like the Israelites, we're not just trying to build a Compass Bible Church empire of awesomeness. 
right? We're responding to God's commands. We're responding with a thankful and grateful and joyful attitude because, why? Because of what we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, that the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for the victory over sin and death because of Christ. And because it's all about him, that's how we can continue abounding in the work of the Lord. Romans 11.36, I'm sure it's familiar to many of us. Romans 11.36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. See, we certainly benefit from the church. And we know that we have been given a lot by God that we can give back to the church. But when it's all said and done, it's never really been about us. Everything that we do here is toward the goal of worshiping the Lord. Our free will offerings and the joyful fulfillment of our roles in the church is our spiritual offering to the Lord for his glory. If you serve by setting up chairs, it's because you know now you're creating an opportunity. You're providing a place for someone to come and to participate in the worship service or for someone to come and to hear the gospel. Speaking of chairs, as we get closer to the spring tea, hosting a table means that someone who wants to be here, somebody who needs to be here, someone who God wants to be here has a table, has a seat to sit at. Volunteering to share your creativity and your welcoming smile opens a seat for someone to hear the gospel. If you run slides, for our worship team, then you know that you're providing confidence to the people who are singing and worship to the Lord, that they're singing the right words. And also, there's something about seeing those words and being able to know then what it is that you're saying as you're worshiping and to better understand. Or think about all the people that do all the things for us to be right here, right now, at Bible study. So we can gather and we can sing together to worship the Lord and then we can hear his word taught. If we scoop back a bit in our passage from Exodus and go back to the beginning of chapter 35, Exodus 35, verse 1, it starts with, Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that Yahweh has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to Yahweh. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Moses had the attention of everyone, right? And he started by first reminding them of God's command to observe the Sabbath. And then he gave them the list of things that they needed and the jobs that needed to be done to complete the project that God had given them to do. The reminder of the Sabbath in this passage is to make sure that the Israelite people did not forget the purpose of their work. Because the same God who gave them the instructions to build the tabernacle is the same one who gave them the command to observe the Sabbath day of rest. Their obedience is required in both. Practically, the Sabbath was a day of rest for the people, but spiritually, it was a sign of Israel's faithfulness to God's commands, all of them. It was a reset to focus their hearts and their minds on Yahweh. They were not to skip the Sabbath because there was a lot of work that needed to be done. Because you can imagine, right? It would have been easy to think, 
let's just get it done, and we'll have better Sabbaths on the other side once the tabernacle is finished. God will understand. We're following his directions. We're doing the job that he gave us to do. If we stop and take a day off, it's only going to take longer. How easy is it for us to be busy about the work of the Lord and to neglect our obedience to him in all areas, especially in our relationship with him? To think, but God, I've been busy serving your people and serving your church, and yet we don't have time to read his word or to pray. We're too busy doing this to be able to focus on that. Or we come to church only thinking about what has to be done and we forget to participate in the worship of God. Christ is the reason that the church exists. And yes, to remind ourselves that everything we do here is for the Lord and not for the approval of man is a helpful motivator when sometimes it's hard to serve and love people. Because sometimes it is hard to serve and love people. But reminding ourselves that everything we do here is for the Lord is also always the truth. Our work is for the Lord. We can't forget that this is God's church and everything that happens here is for him. God rescued the Israelites from Egypt. Spoiler alert, he's going to lead them all the way to the promised land. They will make it out of the wilderness. But while they're there, he provided everything they needed. He forgave them for their idol worship. He gave them the skills and tools necessary to build the tabernacle. And for us, He's rescued us from the eternal consequences for our sins. He provides for our needs. He offers us faithful forgiveness when we confess our sins. And he's given us gifts and talents to use in service to the church. Then and now and until the end of time, everything is all from him and through him and to him and to him be the glory. And one day... The faithful followers from those wilderness days, those who watched and waited for God's full redemption, for the culmination of what the tabernacle represented for them, and all the generations of faithful followers until Christ, and then those who have put their faith in Christ, repenting of their sins, and those of us who have done the same, all of us together, we will together see what we have been sacrificing and working and waiting for, the why behind all that we do and the goal of our work, when God will dwell forever with his people, not just from time to time in a tent in the wilderness, but when we will see, like the Apostle John did in Revelation 21, if you want to write it down as Revelation 21, 1 through 5, I want you to just listen to what it is, and you can go back and look at it later, but Revelation 21, 1 through 5 says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. They are worthy of our trust. They are true. It is settled. It will be. And we're all trying to get there. And what a day that will be. And every sacrifice that you make willingly for the body of Christ, every job you do with joy, 
It's all for the purpose of worshiping the Lord together here imperfectly, but there perfectly for all of eternity. Think of how much we have been given by God. Smile and go out and do his work. Thank you for listening. Thank you for serving. Thank you for smiling. And thank you, God, for the body of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this passage from Exodus. Thank you for the example of what to do and how to do it right. I pray that all of us would be motivated to go out and do that thing that maybe we've been thinking about and has now been confirmed that that's what we should do, that we would do it with joy. I pray that we would build relationships with one another. We would encourage one another. I pray that we would remember that we are all connected in the body of Christ. And I pray that everything we do would be about the worship of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.